Hey everyone, thank you for listening to the Brew Roots podcast. This is episode 200, which is four years in the making for us, right? That's that's pretty uh, amazing. Ryan and Erica, you've officially been on for more than 100 episodes, so... I guess I have, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, I started episode 30-something. 37? 30-something, yeah. whatever night shift was. Yeah, yep. and uh, I've been on, I think... All 200, maybe like maybe 198 or something like that. There's like, one I think you didn't go to actually yeah. that Ryan and I did. Well, that's true. Actually, I think that happened yeah. a couple times. Did well, it? yeah, maybe it's but not. anyway. But uh, Roots as a collective <laughs> has gotten to 200 episodes. Uh, and God, all the people who listened all the way back and like Smutty Nose, like or that still one, go back and listen to those. Yeah, God bless Kudos you. Kudos to you. Uh, we need to re-record a lot of those episodes. But uh, I just want to, from the bottom of my heart, thank all our listeners who have spent the time, shared an episode, told us our episode has sucked. Uh, that's cool too. Like. Um, it, it helps us grow. It helps us become a better podcast and uh, kind of do, uh, I hate the word service, but do what we do, uh, you know, in helping out uh, those breweries across the country. Um, and God knows, like right now, like people need that, uh, you know, that extra, that like, yeah, that community aspect of it. So uh, we've certainly felt it here in podcast land, uh, you know, talking to all the people who follow us on Instagram or Twitter or people we've just even seen at our local like breweries being like, keep up the good work. Uh, thank you. Like, uh, I don't want to speak for Ryan and Erica, but no, you basically <laughs> said it. Yeah. Man. Yeah. yeah, no, definitely. Thank you for all of your love and support and listening. And yeah, yeah, it's always, it's been a long and amazing, lovely ride and I can't wait to keep going. I don't know if I have 200 more in me, but we'll oh, yes, see. You do. <laughs> we'll see. Um, but we, we can promise you these, these next episodes that we come coming up are going to be awesome. episodes. Amazing. Um, and we are here in Hamden, Connecticut. Yeah. Did I say that right? You did. Oh. Hamden. Hamden. Yeah. Hamden. Yeah. And, uh, we're here at counterweight, mm. which I had to train myself not to say honest weight. Honest weight is in Massachusetts. So it's like, <laughs> and we've been there a bunch of times. Yeah. Love that brewery. Uh, so we're here at counterweight. And if I slip up, I apologize, but we're here with someone who has an excellent name because it happens to be my name. So we're here with Matthew. Do you prefer Matthew or Matt? It's Matt. It's Matt. Yeah. It's same Matt. as me. My mom calls me Matthew when she's pissed. Me too. Yeah. It sucks. <laughs> she's an Italian woman. So it's really scary when she's like, Matthew. <laughs> 31. You know. Still scared. Yeah. You know. <laughs> <laughs> but um, thank you for doing this today. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for talking with us. Yeah, no problem. Uh, so we start every podcast by asking our guests um, the role at the brewery. And uh, when they, we used, we used to well, ask. First memory of beer. First memory of beer. That's fun. Yeah. Or maybe when you first fell in love with it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so uh, my name is Matt. Um, owner, brewer, janitor, packaging guy, fixer of all things that are broken around the brewery. Um, Earliest memory of beer, um, probably trying, you know, a sip of my dad's beer or my mom's beer uh, uh, or my one of my grandparents. I remember all of them put salt in their beer when I was a little kid, which is very, uh, very specific <laughs> memory for me. Yeah. Huh. Um, they were on the Goza train before anyone else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 right. yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I distinctly remember um, like Miller Lite or something of that, that kind of beer with a little bit of salt in it. Um, and then when I really fell in love with beer was probably college, like most people. Uh, when you kind of graduate from your Keystone Lights or your, your Miller High Lifes and you discover something that's interesting or, or bold in flavor and kind of o- opens up your mind to the fact that beer could be something that you don't necessarily expect. Do you remember what that beer might have been for you? I remember a lot of 12 packs of Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. Mm. Such a good one. Yeah. Still a good one to even yeah. just grab. Like, yeah, very yeah. much. Um, what was the origi- You said you went to college. What was the original plan? And did you disappoint your parents by going into the brewing <laughs> industry? Um, so I went to school for sociology, 
um, during that time, I started homebrewing, and uh, I applied to my three top graduate school picks, and I promised myself if I didn't get in, that I'd go to brewing school. <laughs> and I'm, I wonder sometimes if I picked the highest level of schools that I knew I wouldn't <laughs> get purpose, into. On purpose, yeah. <laughs> Harvard, um, Harvard, and Harvard. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And I kind of remember going to my parents and telling them, hey, change of plans here, guys. I'm probably not going to go to graduate school. I'm interested in going to brewing school. And to my surprise, they were very, very supportive. That's awesome. And there probably wouldn't be a counterweight today without their support, for sure. So That's amazing. Yeah. So what brewing school did you go to? Uh, American Brewers Guild. Yeah. Very cool. I'm going to get in a hard-hitting question um, right away. Uh, Damn. Education versus just going into the industry. What's your opinion on it? I think there's a lot of value to both. Um, I have a lot of respect for the German tradition of just tr like real focus on education and, edu and being educated upon every aspect of what you do within the brewing world. Um, but as we know, uh, in their tradition, they're very, very myopic, and they make these beers this way, and it's, That's it's it. a little less Never creative. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the American way, which I think has really pushed the boundaries of American beer and beer in the world as a whole, I think um, there's a lot of value in being creative and not uh, having that kind of boundary around you. Um, so I think it's really a combination of both, and knowing both of those things and finding um, the ability to accept some of those tried and true methodologies um, into what you do and also maintaining some level of creativity is, is really important to be successful. Yeah. So when you went to the um, Brewers Guild school there, what did you kind of focus on? Is it like a little bit of everything? Was there any kind of real specific thing that you focused on there? Yeah, at that part, particular point in time, and I can't really speak to what they're doing now, but mm -hmm. it was broken up between um, engineering, so they kind of talked about why equipment was designed the way it was and why you use it that way, and then um, some, some microbiology and um, some process-related things. Okay. Um, so it was a kind of a, a well-rounded yeah. well way of kind of telling you a little bit of everything. Do you feel like a hospitality aspect is missing from a higher education in beer? Very much so. I think that's a great question. Um, one of the things that we've really focused on at Counterweight and that I think is missing as a whole is, well, we all focus a little bit of what's, what's in the glass. How it's served and how it's presented is so, so, so important. And I think that's another thing that comes in from um, some older uh, brewing traditions around the world, whether that be Belgium or Germany or, or England, um, they're very good and very thoughtful and very um, purposeful in the way they present the beer to you. And I think that goes miles with people, um, that it should look a certain way, it should be poured in a certain glass, and it should look a certain way. Um, you know, while we all focus on aroma and flavor, the way the beer looks, whether it has stable foam, whether it's clear or hazy, that's such a big part of uh, the experience for the end drinker. And, and I, I would like to see, and we certainly are trying our best to, to focus on that here at Counterweight, for all of us as an industry to kind of focus on that a little bit more because I think it's going to stabilize and make for our segment of the beverage industry and the beer industry on the smaller level a little bit more stable and have more longevity in, in, as a whole. Yeah, I think a lot of people focus on the beer in front of them in American style versus you know European style then rather this getting to know the person, right? So it's like, oh, you know, I'm drinking this oatmeal stout, you know, it's, it's roasty, it has all these great aromas, but sometimes the best beer is just the beer in front of you, Absolutely. right? And it makes it up with the hospitality. We've had countless beers, I think, in our journeys, and I think we remember where we've gone based upon who we've talked to, those experiences. The times you've had. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I know that that's what you guys are about, just doing some research, um, never personally being here myself, and but knowing what you, you're about. Uh, Recently, you just were awarded, what, 12th 
in your top 12 brewery in 2021 from hop, hop culture yeah yeah uh, that so was really cool to see must be doing something right yeah well, we're, we're, we're certainly <laughs> trying and i think you know our, our ideology about what we do is fairly simple um we want to make consistent quality beer that's affordable and available so um we're not really interested in being kind of this small hyper local focused we're we're a statewide brewery where we don't really go outside of connecticut but uh, within Connecticut, we want to make our beer, first and foremost, just available and affordable. And as a result of that goal, we have to be thoughtful about our beers being shelf-stable and yeah. and s- some other issues that obviously come in with, with that goal. Um, so, yeah, I mean, w- within that, we want to try to fulfill um, a bunch of different areas of the spectrum of beer. So yeah. we make a Hellas, we make an oatmeal stout. So everywhere in between there, we try to we try to make something for everybody. And, and whatever we choose to make, we want to do well. How do you make your beer affordable? A lot of planning and <laughs> yeah. um, having realistic expectations of what we're going to get out of this financially. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're, we've been in business for coming up on five years now. Uh, I've, I've been in the industry about 16 years. Wow. Um, and, you know, we're not going to get rich doing this, but we're certainly going to be happy if at the end of the day um, we can put something um, that we consider to be an affordable luxury in front of somebody for, you know, $10, $11, $12 a four-pack and have them really enjoy it, and it's as good as anything they've, they've bought for 18 or 20 I was going to say, yeah. 10, 12, that sounds amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so the, you're, it's safe to say a lot of people in greater Connecticut probably have never been to the tap space that have enjoyed your beer. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, you know, being down in this part of the state, it's hard for us to kind of um, get an understanding of who's visited. We have a long stro- local support of neighborhoods around us that come in on a I feel a like you guys basis. know how many dogs have come. I saw a wall There's of dogs. Of yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but let's go back to what we were talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think that, on, you know, Saturdays we might have people that take an hour ride to come visit us, but on a regular basis, we have just have people from, from, you know, 10, 15, 20 miles away at most coming to us on a regular basis. And I think that our customers are different in uh, the regard of them being a taproom customer who's a regular or somebody that goes out and buys workhorse or headway regularly on the shelf. Yep. And if we're able to kind of fulfill both of those things, um, then I think, you know, hopefully we're, we're doing that well and, and that's why they continue to return. So you talk about being in the industry for 16 years. Where did you cut your teeth? So uh, I started at New England Brewing Company. Cool. Um, I started there as a volunteer and eventually became head brewer and co-owner of the company. Wow. I was there for just under a decade and then um, sold my piece back to a uh, current owner, still a good friend, and started Counterweight. Yeah. Cool. So was it a dream to kind of start your own brewery then? Yeah, I think as um, that brewery evolved and we hit a certain space and I was getting a little bit older, I was like, well, if I'm ever going to do this from the ground up, it's now's the time. Yeah. And that pressure of time and, and also just really being interested in starting all over again, um, it, it drove me to... One of the challenge. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's awesome. So you never worked as a sociologist? I never worked as a sociologist. <laughs> I don't know if many people have. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, I, I, fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> Sorry to our sociologist listeners out there. You said it, not him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you've always worked as a professional brewer or in the brewing industry. Yeah, before I was um, brewing professionally, I worked for different wholesalers. So I lived in Oregon for a while and I was uh, I ran a sales route in Portland um, selling Deschutes and New Belgium and, oh, geez, and that's awesome. uh, you know all kinds of different brands out there and then moved to Connecticut uh, back home where I'm originally from. Ran a route here for a little while, worked in a liquor store, running a beer department and then eventually jumping onto the production side. So uh, um, definitely have a, new, a unique perspective having worked on all three tiers. Yeah, yeah, that's actually huge. So having that kind of that. global perspective, um, 
were you gun ho to distribute statewide uh, upon opening? Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, the ability of certain breweries to successfully go to market, make something affordable, available, and consistent is undervalued right now. And um, while there's a lot of wonderful breweries that I, I certainly love drinking their beer that are taproom only or very small, that never really interested me. Um, the larger challenge of navigating all of these other obstacles, maybe because it's because I love pain and, and all of the things that, and all of the challenges that are yeah. affiliated with, with being able to do that. Um, I've always wanted to be able to produce something that somebody an hour away could go walk into a store and, and confidently pick that beer up off the shelf and know that they're going to get a good value for, for what they're paying. Yeah. I'm very curious about the name Counterweight, but we have to keep the lights on here at the Brewers Podcast. How do you think we got to 200 episodes? How do you think? The sound guy Ryan and Eric, and not me. So. <laughs> Let's take it away, sponsors. And uh, I'm curious about the name. So. We'll be back. We'll be back. Did you know that your favorite Massachusetts breweries use hops from a local family-owned hop farm right here in Massachusetts? Our friends over at Four Star Farms are there for you, whether you're a commercial brewery or a small batch home brewer. Make sure to head over to their website today and get your hands on some of the best and freshest hops available locally. Cheers. At our local homebrew shop, Beer and Wine Hobby, you can get everything you need to make beer, wine, cider, cheese, and more. Not sure where to start? They have knowledgeable staff there to help. Beer and Wine Hobby is family-owned and located in Danvers, Massachusetts. Visit their website, beer-wine.com, and use our promo code BRUITS for 10% off your online order today. Shirts on Tap is the box subscription service for craft beer lovers. Each month, Shirts on Tap partners up with seven different breweries from across the country and collaborates on a sweet custom shirt design. We've been teamed up with Shirts on Tap since the inception of the podcast and are proud to announce a new promo code for all of our listeners. To get your first shirt for $5 off, go to the link in our description below and use the promo code. And remember, drink better beer, wear better shirts. So the name Counterweight. Uh, Ryan and I and Erica were joking on the way here. You, we thought you were an ex-rigger, you know, like the counterweight. <laughs> so we're like retired rigger, you know. They're that, all retired yeah. riggers. Yeah, that's, 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 that's where it comes we had this, like, <laughs> We had this idea in our head that you were this rigger. Potty mouth rigger. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Not far from it. Okay. Um, no, when we were um, looking for a name for the company, um, we wanted something that was a representation of what we wanted to accomplish. And... Realistically, no matter what we looked at, whether it was hospitality or flavor or our personal lives or anything, we really wanted to achieve balance. And yep. counterweight is um, one of those those tools to achieve balance. So that's really um, where the name comes from. To to try to uh, if somebody goes out and buys a headway at the end of the day and they had a, a really shitty day, and that beer is kind of their their counterweight at the end of the day to balance out um, you know their world. Um, there, there's a lot of different ways of looking at what we're ultimately trying to achieve. Were you pumped that it was available? I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> let's be honest. It was available too, right? That's a very big part of it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> was there any uh, like plan B names if that wasn't or was kind of right number one? So we actually looked at Workhorse Brewing Company, okay. um, the name of our Pilsner, and the same exact week 
that we applied for, somebody else had just gotten approval. Oh, oh wow. Yeah. That's crazy. You guys should like talk. To, did you, have you talked to us? Yeah, I have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, thanks for <laughs> doing <laughs> it. <You're, laughs> uh, what are the beers you, you're all known for? Um, so we have three beers in distribution. So we have uh, Headway IPA, our number one seller. It's about 75% of everything we make. Um, we have uh, Workhorse Pilsner. This is the first beer we ever brewed in this, in this building. Um, that's available all the time, and it's growing um, organically and, and really fast, which makes us super happy. I was say, we, that's we, amazing to hear. We, yeah. we, we, yes. we love our lagers. Yes. Um, and then Crucial Mass, which is our double IPA, we added maybe two years in, and that's, uh, that's available um, a little less um, than Headway and Workhorse, but it does, it does see the shelves. Yeah. Uh, I see a cool ship here, but I'm going to ask a question after that. But uh, are you decocting for your locker, loggers? We're not. Um, currently, at our new facility we're building right now, we just bought two different brew houses, uh, both available of doing decoction. Awesome. Nice. That's awesome. Uh, not many breweries have a cool ship. So <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Why do you have a cool ship? <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm, an, I'm just a beer nerd, ultimately, um, and I love exploring old world methodology. Um, so one of the goals here was to produce spontaneously fermented beers and to use a cool ship to produce some really classic old world German styles as well. Um, so we've used a cool ship to do both. So and which cool ship beer is this that we're having? Uh, that's cool ship Keller beer. Um, based off of a beer that I was able to have in Melkendorf, Germany a couple of years ago and uh, you know, really just took the methodology they, they shared with us and, and applied it here. Yeah. It's amazing. It's really good. <laughs> Mine's gone. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, what, what's your opinion on um, true to style? Um, that's a that's a big question. Um, I think what uh, needs to be incorporated into answering something like that is people's interpretation. Mm. Um, so everybody's palate's different, and we all taste beers a little bit different. And um, you know, as I explore traditional styles and try to pull from. Um, any of these beers that are, are tried and true and, and have a hundred years of tradition, um, I, I certainly understand that it's going through uh, my lens and, and my palate. And we always want to put our own thumbprint on things. So okay. we're, we're trying to just ensure that no matter what we do, that we're first and foremost honest with the, with the drinker. So we're never going to sit here and tell you that you're drinking a German Keller beer. You're drinking a German Keller beer that was produced in an American brewery. Yeah. And uh, that influence um, that came to us from our education, our personal experience, our equipment, our water profile, all of these things are going to make up the sum of the parts in the glass that you, you ultimately drink. Do off flavors have a place in beer? Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> That's a bold question. It is a bold question. <laughs> well, I mean, in Germany, there are some beers that have diacetyl on purpose. Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting. It's allowed. Czech Republic, yeah. yeah. Diacetyl is offensive to me, quite honestly. Mm. Yeah. So you have and, a low threshold um, for it. Yeah, you know, and, I, and I've, I've had some, some British beers, like Fuller's London Porter is a beer that I, I truly love. And there's a touch of diacetyl, but it, it does work in that beer. Lagers, I'm a little bit more sensitive, and I've... I've I've certainly had some of those traditional Czech beers, and it's not for me. So yeah. I think it's I think it's case by case. I've talked to other brewers who love going to the Czech Republic and, and drinking those beers every couple of years when they get to travel, and when they think about the flavor profile of those beers, it, it is a part of it. Um, for us, we do make a uh, Czech inspired lager, and we we do not have diacetyl on that beer. Um, but again, it's our interpretation of, and what we want to see and through. And that's, it's one of the reasons we say check inspired and not check style. Yeah. 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 I think it's actually a really good point. And I like that you do that. It's check inspired. Yeah. It's smart. It's good. It's smart. 
Um, let's talk about the brew house. What are you brewing on? Here, and then we're going to talk about the new facility. Sure. Yeah. Um, so we have a 20-barrel, three-vessel, metal craft brewery, uh, brew house down there. Um, we have about 17 fermenters from 20 barrels wow. to 80 barrels, four bright tanks, and a five-head cast canning line, and a, a really incredible crew down there running everything day to day. That's important. That, that was important, yeah. yes. <laughs> Thank you. Um, obviously, lagering takes a little bit longer. When you're brewing 75% of your brews that are uh, IPAs, what is a four-week turnaround for those? Uh, yeah, most of our beers are about five weeks. Five weeks, okay. um, And then our German Helles, um, that, that's about a six-week beer. Obviously, with lagering, though, the tank space is a premium, um, and with your Pilsner, I'm sure, too. Um, is the new facility going to have more tank uh, fermenters and, uh, and tanks? Yeah, so we'll have, right now we have 17 fermenting vessels. We'll have 23 at the new space. Okay, oh. nice little yeah. bump. So is the new space going to replace this one, or are you going to have two locations? It'll replace this one. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so talk about the new space and where it's going to be. So we're moving about 20 minutes up the road um, in Cheshire. We built a, a brand new facility, 20,000 square foot, that's now connected to an existing 8,000 square foot building. Um, and we really tried to design this place to combine um, efficiency, um, build the production space to allow our staff to really explore and be experimental and continue to learn and evolve, and then build um, a space that's welcoming and, and educational for, for people as they come in and, and hopefully visit us. Is it going to be bittersweet to close the doors on this place? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we've been here five <laughs> years and we built this place from nothing. I mean, this, this used to be a gym. Yep. Um, oh, okay. Downstairs Fun. was a yoga studio. This used to be exercise bikes. Out there was a basketball court. Oh, I see it a little. All yeah, kinds yeah. of stuff. <laughs> all right, and, all right. Um, you know, m myself and my fiance kind of tore this place apart and, and with a bunch of help um, turned it into a brewery. Yeah. Is another brewery coming in here? That's yet to be determined, but okay. it's a very good possibility. Ah, right. stay tuned right. for more. Stay tuned. <laughs> um, what pisses you off about this space? <laughs> Come uh, on, there's got to be something. You're brewing, building a new building. <laughs> uh, so many things. I mean, we're just, we're just really out of space. Um, it's one of those Tetris games where to get something into the building, sometimes we have to pull things out. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's just definitely not big enough for what we want to do. And yeah. we started on a very, very, very small budget. So for the first you know year that we were open, we were like most new breweries, um, underfunded and, and understaffed, and um, there's just a lot of things we can do differently. And from all those lessons that we've learned here and elsewhere, we're trying to apply those in the new space because I never, ever, 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 ever want to move a brewery ever again. <laughs> so hopefully, everything that we put in the new space doesn't push us to ever have to do so. You yeah. mean this isn't like so much fun for you? <laughs> this is like the best thing. <laughs> Uh, staff education, how important is it? Uh, really, really important. And, and that goes both ways, not for just what we teach our staff, but for what our, our staff teaches us. And um, one of the things that I love about um, our staff is that they're truly passionate and they always bring new ideas and things to the table that we as a group always are collectively exploring, whether that's um, a way to produce a beer, a new ingredient, a new style, whatever it is, we're all collectively trying to continuously kind of just up our game. Um, and, you know, that, that goes from, from production to service to, to every really aspect of, of Counterweight. Yeah. Do you do any kind of training for staff? Yeah, we do off-flavor training on awesome. a pretty regular basis. Yep. Um, we sit down with new beers pretty often and, and just taste through them. Yeah. Um, and then anytime there's a new ingredient, we'll talk through what we might be able to do with it, where it applies. Um, and we're, we're, always, we're always, you know, communicating those things. Yeah. Pretty cool. Pretty so cool. you came from Nebco, right? Uh, more hypey beer, if you want to say. They have the unicorn 
Yeah, you know which one I'm talking about. <laughs> um, not as hypey here. What's your opinion on hype beer? <laughs> I'm so sorry. I just got to ask, you know. Um, it's, it's interesting because, um, you know, the first beers that I ever brewed over there were, were Fuzzy and Supernaut and Gandhi Bot and all these things that got a lot of hype. And we didn't really do anything other than just make beer um, that we wanted to drink. And that's sort of what um, I think most brewers should do, just follow their passion. And I think that hype beer um, has its place in the industry, but it, as long as it doesn't take your eye off the prize as evolving and improving and making um, a product that has more of a place for a broader audience than a, a, a highly specialized smaller audience because you still have to keep the lights on and, and, and move forward. I was going to ask that. Yeah. Like, so yeah. then do you think you have to have like an IPA on at all times? Yeah, I, I kind of think you do if mm -hmm. your business model calls for it. Um, you know, here we, we, we love our hoppy beers. We, we, we love our lagers. We try to do all of those things. But at the end of the day, we also, we have to be honest with ourselves and recognize that you know, hoppy beer and IPA specifically um, drives largely the craft beer industry. Yeah. So as a result of that, um, we came out with Headway IPA. We wanted to see where it went. We adjusted that beer over the f course of the first year um, according to what we wanted it to be and what the audience was asking for. And we kind of you know, reached this point where we're, we're really yeah. proud of it right now. And it, it does propel this company forward. Is Italian Pilsner hype beer? <laughs> <laughs> um, or is it a made-up beer that doesn't really <laughs> exist? <laughs> Oh, man, that's a really interesting question because we do make an Italian. Hey, listen, beer. I love Italian. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, yeah, we yeah, love yeah, it. Yeah, it's you know, I, I don't know if it's a hype beer. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, right now, at least in Connecticut, and I think Connecticut's a really new, unique market. Um, Lager is still trying to find its, its day in the sun. And, and mm. um, very, you know, there's a large audience of people that just don't want that from us. Um, I will say that we've seen consistently our number two best selling beer in, in our tap room as being our Pilsner. That's so awesome it, to hear, it's, though. It's, it's, it is starting great. to happen. Now, is that. Hamden is kind of like a college town, right? I mean, you have Quinnipiac, and is that driven by the people who might be drinking the Natty Ices and they want the light <laughs> offering? I, I, I don't know. I natty mean, it's also, it's also like a, a blue-collar area, so. Uh, we don't really see a lot of college students here. Okay. Um, and I think, you know, largely they don't want to pay 6 or $7 a pint when they can buy, you know, a, a $3. 30 rack. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 30 rack for that. Yeah, yeah. And, that's, and that's totally fine. Yeah. Um, you know, we do see a lot of loyal regulars that come through the door, and a lot of these guys started drinking our hazier IPA or our barrel-aged stouts or some of the beers that we've gotten a lot of attention for. Um, but we do see them shifting a little bit because on, at any given time, we have three or four lagers on, and I think as they kind of deviate a little bit from, from their, their normal glass, I think the spectrum of flavor we're able to offer and certainly other breweries around us are starting to offer, um, it's a nice break. Yeah. Do you have a, uh, a favorite beer style to brew and drink? Um, yeah, I think Workhorse, Workhorse Pilsner is probably my favorite beer we make. I find mm. myself always grabbing for it. It's very much inspired by some of my travel in, in Germany over the last five years. And um, it's, it's just super drinkable. I, I like the fact that it's just, just around 5% and, and you can have a couple of them and not get in too much trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. We're going to talk about the craft beer scene in Connecticut and your opinion on it and maybe some things that frustrate you. But after this break, after this break, <laughs> are you a solo artist, band, podcaster, or anyone else who needs recording services? Well, we got a place for you where your vision can become a reality. Welcome to Small Pond Studios, built by hand with heart and sweat equity by musicians for musicians. 
Go to smallpondstudios.io to reach out to get more information. And make sure you let them know that Brute sent you. Hey, Sound Guy Ryan here. Didn't know if you heard, but we're a part of the Hopped Up Network. There you'll find other informative podcasts about beer. So go ahead, follow them on social media, and visit them on their website, hoppedupnetwork.com, to learn more about the people, beer, and breweries from around the country. And until next time, thanks for listening. Cheers. So the Connecticut beer scene, uh, we're obviously in touch with the mass beer scene, and we're, we've talked to a couple uh, breweries around the state. Um, but what's what's the Connecticut beer scene known for? What's it known for? I think we're a, a young market for beer overall, and I think that the difference between Connecticut and the rest of um, more developed beer markets is that we really haven't had um, one or two breweries really step up to the plate and drive and grow. Um, you know, realistically... I'm a pretty young guy in, in the grand scheme of things. And when I first started in the business, I think there were five breweries in Connecticut. Um, and now there's a hundred and something. 125, we found yeah. out today. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's, yeah. that's absolutely insane to me. So as a result of 125 or 120 breweries opening in the last um, 10 years, um, there's not a lot of experience in our state. And that, that goes for me as well, really. You know, I, I'm, I'm asking people to have so much more experience than, than a lot of us do. Um, and I think that we have a long way to go in our state, but I think that we've we've certainly come a long way as well. Yeah. Do you think it's good or bad that you don't have a quote unquote trillium or treehouse in your state? I think there's there's ups and downs to both. I mean, mm. there's there's a balance for for everything. I mean, the the nice thing about Connecticut is it's wide open, and and we do have a diverse group of people driving um, everything forward within our within our business. Um, so, you know, we have two roads and and what NEB is doing now and and back east and, and so, so many different breweries. Um, it's, it's nice to see what's happened and it's exciting to see what can happen. Yeah, definitely. What's your opinion on collaboration beers? I think they can be um, really beneficial for both breweries for a bunch of reasons. I think when two breweries truly get together because they're interested in doing something and it organically happens as a result of two brewers you know, over a beer talking about, wow, it would be really cool to do something. Um, I think they can be um, educational. Everybody has a different approach to what they do day to day in the brewery. And I think that um, when they get together and share both of those things, and, and hopefully both parties can walk away with a little bit of information, um, they're, they're hugely beneficial, especially if the beer comes out good and people can, can kind of recognize some of those, uh, some of those different elements that, that ultimately come together. Yeah. Working in a brewery is a lot of collaboration too, because a lot of the times you have people who have come from different breweries um, and some you might've just had grown in house. Um, what do you prefer as an owner, head brewer, uh, someone that you can grow from top? Ground up. Ground up or <laughs> someone who's come in with a little bit more experience? I think it depends on their role. Um, we've had people come in and, you know, uh, from a, a little bit more of a managerial standpoint, have brought so much experience in and, and brought a new um, perspective on things that I certainly wouldn't have seen. And it's really benefited our company. Um, at the same uh, way, you know, there's certain lessons that I've learned that I do stand by and to be able to instill some of those things in people and make sure that they happen on a day-to-day -day basis, I think also have benefited counterweight. So in, in 
the spirit of our name, I think there's a balance, again, with, with both of those things, depending on where those people fit in. On a total side note here, what music are you playing on Brew Day? Well, that depends on who's down there. <laughs> and do you have a rule of no yeah, bands? Right. <laughs> like, is there like a no Dave Matthews band? Like, <laughs> It'll get changed pretty quickly if Dave Matthews band goes on. Um, <laughs> cool. we, have, uh, we have a wide variety of, of music down there from from Wu-Tang to country music to, oh, uh, you know, Johnny Cash all the way down to the, the craziest metal band. Um, <laughs> so it really depends on who's on the brew deck that day. Yeah, yeah. Jam bands? One individual that's not me. Oh, that's so, yeah. <laughs> all right, all There's right. a couple we'll brewers we know that say no jam bands. <laughs> um, what's like, what's, uh, what's the environment here like to work for? You know, like uh, what culture are you trying to create? Everybody that's been here um, with us for since we've opened, that's most people. I think we have 28 employees, and we've all 20, 24 of them are still with us since day that's one. That's pretty, pretty huge. Much. We're, we're kind of a group of misfits, honestly. Um, we all kind of get along because we're all a bunch of weirdos. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, naming of beers. It's always interesting. It's either what's available or like what's the most weird thing that you can think of. Uh, yeah. Is there an Excel sheet and what's the weirdest name that you that has not gone into production? <laughs> that you can and, say without getting yeah, in trouble. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I can't think of anything I can say on here right now, honestly. Yeah. Um, it, it's a collaborative effort on that on that front too. I mean, it really is. Hey, does this fit the beer? Is it is what we want to do? Does it does it fit the overall image of the company? Um, and then we have a whole list of things that's that's downstairs on a on a board. I would say ninety percent of which are not not appropriate. How does a name fit a beer? I think beers have personality, okay. and a certain spirit to it. Yeah, um, you know, especially for us, you know, we're making such a wide array of beers from from um, you know a Rauk beer to a hazy IPA. Um, we want it to to kind of fit what we feel the the vibe of the beer is. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You mentioned rope beer. We asked our previous guest uh, their opinion on smoked beers. What's your opinion on smoked beers? It's one of my favorite things. Same. All right. Oh, awesome. Love awesome. It. Awesome. Love awesome. It. Uh, can it be overdone though? I don't. I don't think so. Ooh. I um, we I love it. We make uh, Druden House. It's a traditional Mertz and Rauch beer, completely, mm. um, you know, made after the Schlankerlaw style. Um, although we do love Spezial and Bomberg as well. <laughs> um, and then we, we make a smoked Hellas as well. And, and both of those beers, when they're on tap, they're the number one thing all of our brewers reach for. Yeah. Um, every other year we try to go to Germany. Um, in September, we were there checking out our new brew house and uh, we made sure our Airbnb was you know, within a, a walking distance of Schlenkerla <laughs> so that as you go explore the rest of the city and drink all these other beers that we love to drink, you get schlanked on the way home. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> uh, what are some of your favorite events here throughout the year? So in normal times, um, we do a record fair with our friends at Red Squirrel Records, and that's one of my favorite days, because um, as a huge music fan and somebody who grew up in the local music scene and who grew up with the people who own that, that, uh, that record store, it's so much fun just to kind of share and have two worlds collide. So people come in, they grab a beer, they shop records, they, they hang out for the day at the brewery, and it, it's, uh, it's fun to kind of share another local small business with them. Were you in a band? I was not in a band. Oh, okay. Well, we, I played around, but I never mm. really played gotcha. as much as the people I lived with did. <laughs> so you kind of understand. I'm not that talented. Yeah. <laughs> you understand the kind of DIY music scene. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm understanding. I'm guessing you lived with people, had basement shows and all of that stuff. Absolutely. Craft Beer, I think, has a complete Very total similar. parallel to the DIY scene. Um, 
Do you think that's what attracted you to it? I think in a big way it did, yeah. I think growing up in the music scene where people kind of took things into their own hands and said, I'm going to do this, whether it's pressing my own record or you know, finding my own distribution, booking my own shows, whatever it was, it's the same thing you know, realistically. We just have to work in a, in a bigger confine as far as you know, state and federal legality, is, I suppose. Yeah. Speaking of state and, l- and <laughs> federal legality, legality. <laughs> w- uh, what rule would you change in Connecticut if you could right now? Oh, boy. I mean, that's, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of little things, but I think we've come such a long way, so I'm trying to focus on the positive. Yeah. When, I, when I first started, we couldn't serve beer in a tap room. We couldn't yeah, fill no growlers. Pints, right, we yeah. couldn't do... We heard about that. Nine liters, crazy. right? Nine liters, and you had to do the conversion charts and everything. That was it. So, you know, back in the day, we used to, to get people into the brewery and share what we were doing with them, we would give beer away. Yeah. And it was like, oh, you bought a pint glass. There just happens to be beer in it. Oh, and cool. <laughs> as things evolve, it's nice to be able to, to, to get past that. Well, there's plenty of progress. I'd like to focus a little bit more on, on all the progress yeah. we, we have made. Yeah, yeah. Oh, definitely. So what is that, what's that law called? The, the Connecticut Cafe. Yeah. Are you a fan of that law? Paying extra to serve some small things aren't the best uh, things for, for small businesses in, in the state. Um, you know. Uh, the state of Connecticut certainly has a reputation for grabbing extra cents wherever it can, but I think it's pretty normal in, in, in the overall region and in a lot of states. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll see what unfolds as uh, hopefully our, our guild and, and our, a bunch of breweries uh, strengthen together and, and grow together to be able to accomplish things that make uh, a, an environment that's a little bit more um, reasonable for, for small business. Do you have wine or cider or anything like that on tap here? Yeah, we, we, uh, we pour New England Cider Company. They're okay. in Wallingford. Good friends. Those guys are great. And then we have Jonathan Edwards wine and some other rotating wines as well. Yeah. So for people who may have been listening because it's counterweight, um, the law in Connecticut for the... Why can't I remember? Connecticut Cafe. The Connecticut Cafe yeah. is uh, <laughs> you can serve a spirit, a cider, a wine, and it has to be less than 20% of your... Yep, and made in Connecticut. And it has to be made in Connecticut. So in theory, it's a great idea. It works, and it gets a lot of people to come into yours, but there's a price to pay to get... It's the price of admission. So Mm -hmm. if you are a smaller brewery and you can't afford that, it's like... Yeah. Yeah. So we talked about it a bunch in our previous episode, so if you're interested, go back to that episode and (laughs) take a listen. But um, Matt, like... Thank you for doing this. Absolutely. Thank yeah. you so much for talking with um, me. I don't personally have any more questions, Ryan. Erica? I'll have one more. Oh, I love it. So as someone who is so knowledgeable, um, is there anything else that you find you want to learn more about? Oh, man. Pretty much um, everything involved with beer. Every every single week or year or, or any, you know, all the time that passes, when we get our hands on a new ingredient or a new process, um, we're always learning. And I think at the new facility where we have... Um, some new equipment that we've certainly never used before um, and some, some new things that will lead us down some paths um, that will, will require us to look at things a little differently. Um, the next couple years are going to be super exciting for us and our team um, because we, we have a lot of, a lot of opportunity to um, really focus our experience for our guests, um, what we do as far as making beer for the glass uh, that we put in front of our, our guests, and uh, it, it will hopefully be a really fun ride. Awesome. I look forward to that. Yeah. So we always want our listeners who have not been to the interest, this area or if they're in like the tip top corner of Connecticut, right on the Mass and Rhode Island border, and they want to come down here, uh, where's your favorite place to get a slice of pizza? Uh, where should we go for lunch after this? Yes. And your favorite dive bar? Oh, boy. 
I don't think I'm supposed to pick a favorite pizza place. Um, <laughs> you can. I won't tell. I'm a, I'm, I'm a modern guy. I love oh, modern pizza. Second modern. We have to yeah. just go back, I think. We might have to. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a modern and Sally's guy overall. Um, but again, I'm, I'm not too picky. I love Zupardi's and, and Pepe's. We're very spoiled. Yeah, you <laughs> yeah. are. Um, uh, you know, I love Christopher Martin's right next to Modern. It's just a great little New Haven spot to grab a bite. They always have great beer on draft as well. Uh, and best dive bar. I'm not going to lie. I love Ojo's in Watertown. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. And where should we go for lunch? Oh, boy. I would go to Micro right down the street. They're our neighbors. They're, they're good friends. And, and their, their food and beer is fantastic. Cool. Done. Sold. Yep. So, Matt, thank you for doing this. We want our listeners to go to Counterweight. Uh, so, where are you physically located? And I know everyone says we well, can type it in the GPS, but it's some people like to write things down, including myself. So, uh, For the next three to four weeks, yep. we're at 23 Rocky Oak Park Road yep. in Hamden, Connecticut. And, and that's find us f- on social media. And I just want people to know that's three to four weeks. We're releasing this one in the beginning of March. Oh, we are. So, you might, you, actually, might be, you might not be here. You might, you might not be here. So, so where, where would the new location be? So we're going to be at the northern end of Cheshire, right on the border of Southington, right off 691. Um, we're going to have two tap rooms upstairs, downstairs, just like we do in um, Hamden right now. And we're going to have a lot of the process visible for to, sh- to share with our guests. So come check us out. That's yeah. awesome. Definitely follow their social medias to see what's going on. We would there. hate our listeners to go to the wrong location. Exactly. So just stay up to date. But um, we're excited for you. Uh, love the beer that you're producing. I mean, this Keller beer and the Cool Ship was phenomenal. Yeah. I'm glad so, you guys enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah everything was amazing. There's, so. there's, not an, there's not a full glass here. No. So. Uh, the water there's is full. There's multiple the, water, the water is full. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we are going to go have some lunch. You're probably driving to work, or you're probably, you know, that 3 o'clock feeling at work, and we're going to drink more beer, and you're probably You're just going to wish you were. Yeah, so, uh, <laughs> we're living a pretty cool life right now. So <laughs> take best. it away, Sangai Ryan, to the credits that we don't have. Just Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs>